Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mayhem on the Massey. This crash, one of multiple messy scenes in the Lower Mainland. The latest on the weekend chaos on the roads. Plus, that money could have been spent on a lot of other things. The multi-million dollar bill taxpayers are on the hook for a year since a Vancouver homeless camp was cleared. And how can they maintain these essential services without the revenue? Staggering losses. New numbers show YVR's bottom line has taken a hit nearly as big as Canada's largest airport with twice the traffic. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. Abbotsford police are trying to solve a mystery. What led to an overnight deadly hit and run crash? Officers were called to the 38,000 block of North Parallel Road just before 6 o'clock this morning after a man's body was found. The roads around the crime scene have been closed for most of the day as investigators try to identify the victim and the circumstances that led to the crash. Police are asking for any witnesses and anyone with dash cam footage to contact them. Well, this is a rural area of Abbotsford, and police were called to the found body in the early morning hours. Uh, but we have no timeline as to when this accident occurred and how long the body had been there. An Abbotsford senior has been charged in connection with a hit and run last fall that left a woman with life-altering injuries. 77-year-old Joss Boulay, seen here in a composite sketch, is accused of failing to remain at the scene of a collision involving bodily harm. Last September, a late model gray Dodge Caravan was captured on surveillance after police say its driver struck a 59-year-old woman in the West Oaks Mall parking lot. Sharon Beckett, a mother of two, suffered multiple injuries, including a broken neck, back and bleeding on her brain. Boulay will appear in court next month. To Vancouver now, where a 30-year-old man has died in a cycling collision. It happened last night. Vancouver police say the cyclist was on Rupert Street near East 17th at about 9 o'clock when he somehow fell and hit his head. He was not wearing a helmet at the time. Officers are investigating the cause and if any vehicles played a role in the incident. And the province's police watchdog has concluded its investigation into a crash involving a cyclist and a Tesla. The accident happened at Rupert Street and Grandview Highway on Thursday just after midnight. The Independent Investigations Office says video shows an off-duty RCMP officer driving through a green light. The officer then collides with a 20-year-old cyclist who suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. All evidence has been reviewed and the IIO says there is no reason to believe the officer committed an offense. And now to some remarkable footage of a crash that shut down the Massey Tunnel for hours on Friday. Take a look. Yikes, the dash cam video capturing the end of a chain reaction crash involving four vehicles. A northbound car emerges from the tunnel 
hits the median and flips over it, just missing a vehicle. It then flips on its roof and slams right into another. Shockingly, everyone involved managed to walk away with no serious injuries. Dees Island RCMP, Emergency Health Services and Delta Fire Department all responding to the scene and the area was closed to traffic for several hours. The investigation into the crash continues. Well, tomorrow marks one year since a homeless camp at Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park was cleared after most of its residents accepted housing. Tonight, we're getting a closer look at the huge bill taxpayers are facing for the city services that kept the long-standing encampment alive. Here's Kristen Robinson. A year after the Oppenheimer tent city was shut down as part of the province's COVID-19 response, the park remains closed although the taxpayer tab is still open. Unfortunately, they're throwing money at the problem and we don't have the results that we need to show for it. Buried in the aftermath of the more than 18-month encampment, millions in city spending, 95,000 for arts, culture and community services, 418,000 for parks, 113,000 for decampment, 780 grand for policing, 450,000 for restoration, and 750,000 to rebuild the field house. For a grand total of at least $3.5 million, not including fire costs. We can see that this is not good value. We need as citizens to hold our elected leaders and our bureaucrats to account. When asked if he considers this to be taxpayers' money well spent, Mayor Kennedy Stewart was not available for an interview, but said homelessness is expensive. It doesn't matter if it's an encampment in a park or someone sleeping in an alley. That's why cities across B.C. and Canada have been calling on senior governments for more investments to support homeless and underhoused neighbours. Without it, cities are left paying for emergency services like these. I'd much rather have spent this money on housing. It's super frustrating. That money could have been spent on a lot of other things. Councillor Pete Fry says it's an expensive lesson that parks are not able to ride this kind of stress. The Strathcona Park tent city fix is also expected to be costly, although the west side is open due to a gradual decampment. But I think the east side is going to take a little bit more uh, investment, and you wouldn't be able to see, but there's rat holes throughout the entire field, so that's... I imagine there's going to have to be some significant remediation. Just how big this money pit will be remains to be seen. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The District of North Vancouver is considering a permanent memorial after the deadly stabbing rampage outside the Lynn Valley Library in March. Two planter boxes, custom built by Parks Carpenters and filled with mementos from the community's library tribute, will be in place at Lynn Valley Plaza through the summer. Park staff are collecting other flowers for compost that could be used in a future memorial garden. The district is also working to digitally preserve the cards, art and photos left at the memorial. One woman died in the March 27th attacks while six others were injured. Yannick Bandalgo is charged with one count of second-degree murder. 
A Surrey poultry plant is temporarily closed due to a COVID-19 outbreak. Fraser Health says Sunrise Poultry Processors in Newton was ordered to shut down for 10 days after 29 staff tested positive for the virus. The sick employees and their close contacts have been told to self-isolate. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says there is no evidence to suggest that food is a likely source of COVID transmission and there have been no reported cases of food or food packaging being linked to the spread of the virus. Well, RCMP say no tickets have been issued so far this weekend at essential travel checks on area highways. RCMP have set up roadblocks on highways 3 and 5, checking that people on the highway have an essential reason to be there. It's part of the province's COVID restrictions in place until at least the May-long weekend. 1,000 vehicles have been checked with only one person choosing to turn back. Police say people are generally complying with the travel ban. And travel restrictions continue to devastate Canada's aviation industry. In 2020, 72% fewer people passed through Vancouver International Airport. The airport is a non-profit that operates on a user-pay model. So as Paul Johnson explains, the drop in passengers had a devastating impact on the airport's bottom line. Chances are you won't be surprised to hear that YVR is losing a staggering amount of money. The ongoing travel restrictions triggered by the pandemic have hammered aviation everywhere. But the numbers made available Friday may still shock you. YVR has posted a $380 million loss, almost as much as the loss at Toronto's Pearson Airport, which is Canada's biggest and has almost double the traffic. The airports still have to have fire. They have to have their runways maintained. Jim Scott is an aviation industry consultant and former president of Flair Airlines. He says when COVID first grounded most of our commercial flying last year, the expectation was there'd be a fairly quick recovery. No one predicted or was prepared for what has happened. There's been travel restrictions that have reduced the amount of flying in Canada of the 15 major airports down to 10% of what it would normally be in any year. YVR's bleak numbers come as the National Airlines Council of Canada, the trade group that represents Air Canada, WestJet and Transat, is calling for the federal government to immediately start working with industry on a safe, science-based restart plan. They point out the UK has already taken that step and will reopen some routes in a matter of weeks. With Canada not even talking about its plan yet, Industry stakeholders say Canada risks losing market share and having a much more difficult climb out of what is now the worst crisis to ever hit commercial aviation. If you were to average it out, it would be between you know, 10 and 15 percent for a prolonged year. That is historical in the sense that that amount of revenue came out of the airline and airport system. We have to reestablish a world-class system and it's going to need a major national strategy. Paul Johnson, Global News. Another show of defiance tonight from those opposed to COVID-19 restrictions in B.C. Ahmad Agahi is joining us from Sunset Beach with the details of a rally there. Ahmad, we can see a bit of a gathering behind you. What can you tell us? 
Well, Nithu, what's happening behind us is not particularly new. Certain groups have been organizing often what's called freedom rallies in uh, downtown Vancouver on the weekends. That's been happening for some time. What is interesting in this case is the resources that appear to be have been put into this event. And that what, that's what has some city officials and people living nearby concerned. I'm going to take uh, a step aside and give you a closer look at this concert-style performance stage that has been set up on the grass here at Sunset Beach. Uh, it is unclear uh, of the people that you see there how many are involved in the event, but certainly uh, many of the people closer to us don't seem to be paying much attention to the stage. A stage that uh, has been a crew uh, have been working on really for a couple days now for an event to advertise on social media as the Sunset Beach Freedom Rally. Traditionally, uh, these rallies are a space for those uh, protesting the province's COVID-19 restrictions. Organizers of the event have promised uh, there will be speakers, live music, comedy, uh, DJ and dance music. Uh, the city of Vancouver, though, tells me uh, rallies and protests in public spaces uh, do not require permits, but they are concerned that this event poses a public health risk and uh, does not comply with the current public health orders that limit outdoor gathering to a maximum of 10 people. Uh, they say staff will take action where possible within the bylaw uh, to limit the impact along with VPD uh, that are also monitoring the event closely. I'm glad they have as few people watching them as they do. It would be great if they had a few less. <laughs> and, and do you think they should be allowed to? If they I, legally, I guess if they have a permit, great. But I'm like, they don't. I, I, it, well, if they don't, then they should probably get out of here. I mean, they got a sign that says "Reopen Vancouver, May Long Weekend, No Matter What." What does that mean? Like, no matter what, people are dying. Looks like quite the production there, Ahmad. We did notice that the city mentioned the VPD in its statement. What is the police presence there like? Well, I have been speaking to Vancouver police and they do say they do have officers here monitoring the protests. I did see two officers on uh, bikes just go by not too long ago and they say these officers have, quote, discretion to take enforcement if necessary. But the VPD also told me that it does not tally tickets in real time. So if there are any handed out uh, tonight, uh, we won't know till uh, the earliest, maybe tomorrow. All right, to you and cameraman Cliff, stay safe out there. Thanks very much for that. That's Amadagahi at Sunset Beach for us in Vancouver. All right, time for a break, but coming up, a mayor's urges for a mental health unit. Let's change the face of mental health response in our community. Who Richard Stewart is directing his message on mental health to as he opens up about his daughter's challenges and the changes he's calling for. Plus... We were pulling out tons of garbage today. I believe they pulled three cars out of the ravine already. Literally tons of trash being cleaned from a precious Okanagan waterway. How the event seems to be getting more necessary each year. Welcome back. RCMP in southeastern BC are asking for the public's help as they investigate a woman's suspicious death. 35-year-old Brenda Ware was found deceased on Thursday along Highway 93, about 50 kilometers northeast of Radium. Police say Ware was known to have been in Didsbury, Alberta, before traveling to BC, where her vehicle and body were discovered in Kootenay National Park. Investigators want to hear from anyone who saw Ware or her vehicle, a 2019 red Jeep Cherokee with Alberta plates between Tuesday and Thursday. 
Well, on this Mental Health Week, the mayor of Coquitlam is using the occasion to renew calls for greater resources to help those who are struggling with mental illness. And as Julia Foy reports, Richard Stewart knows from personal experience how the mental health crisis ends up in the hands of first responders. People have to actually fit in here. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart is crawling inside the back of a police car to make a point. So it's not an inviting, it's, it's, this is being used as an ambulance at that point. The, it's designed for the safety of the officers and the suspect. Stewart posted on social media about the frustration he feels at the way emergency services responds to a call for mental health. We face that as a family. We've had to make the call, and we know other families that tell us, well, we've made that call. The call is to 911 for an ambulance for a mental health crisis. They're saying they're coming, and two police officers show up on your front porch. Many cities around North America are considering moving away from police responding to mental health calls because it can upset or escalate the situation. The feeling comes as a surprise because you, you have no you realize as you're following the officer through your home that there's a taser, there's a gun, there's a bulletproof vest. This is law enforcement. This is a different response than what you asked for. There's four members there now. But Some cities and municipalities like Surrey have a dedicated mental health team, which includes a professionally trained nurse. Surrey has car 67, Vancouver has car 87, there's car 60, car 40 in Kamloops. You, various jurisdictions depending on the health region. It really ought not to be like that though. Stewart says there shouldn't be such a patchwork system and he's appealing to Fraser Health and the BC Health Minister for help. Now we really want the this issue to be resolved so that we don't place mental health patients in the back seat of a police car uh, and pretend it's an ambulance. He says anything less could have dire consequences. There's a gun in front of me, there's, it's, this is an ambulance now, and that's wrong. Julia Foy, Global News. A group of volunteers is spending this Mother's Day weekend taking care of Mother Nature. It's the annual Peachland Watershed Community Cleanup, and as always, it's surprising to see just how much it's needed. Kimberly Davidson reports. The amount of garbage dumped within the Peachland watershed is startling. It's uh, lined along the perimeter of this parking lot, of this parking area, and uh, a lot of debris, a lot of garbage, and there was even a, a tent. Someone had a little home back there as well. The Peachland Watershed Protection Alliance, along with the Okanagan Forest Task Force, tries to clean up the area at least once a year. And it's always shocking to see how much more dumping has happened since the last sweep. We, we were pulling out tons of garbage today. I believe they pulled three cars out of the ravine already. The cleanup is a daunting task, but about 150 volunteers have shown up to pitch in. It's the right thing to do. It's about conserving our environment. But for some of the volunteers, it's hard not to show their frustration. Don't just use our backyard as your dumping ground. Still, they're not giving up. And they hope education and awareness will help motivate people to take their trash to the dump. Maybe when, when uh, people see things cleaned up, they're less apt to, 
to throw out more garbage and just dump. Since the Okanagan Forest Task Force began its work in 2015, more than 141,000 kilograms of illegally dumped garbage has been taken out of forests around the valley. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. Coming up, how a group of Vancouver actors came together today to raise funds for COVID-19 relief efforts in India as experts fear the oxygen shortage there could spread across the world. Our estimates suggest this could happen in 40 more countries. The mistakes they say India made and how some countries are trying to get ahead of a potential repeat of the cylinder scarcity. It felt like the most wrong thing that I've had to do in a lot of my career. Plus the impact of visitor restrictions on children in hospitals and how a new national research program could lead to permanent changes. Stars of some of the biggest movies and TV shows filmed in BC came together this afternoon to raise funds and awareness for India's COVID-19 relief efforts. On top of the healthcare system that's on the brink of collapse. We also have the farmers still protesting outside of the country's capital in Delhi. Um, and they're fighting these three agriculture reform bills that in their mind is also a death sentence. Called YVR Screen Scene for India, the event led by podcast host Sabrina Rani Firminger was a two-hour panel discussion. The actors discussing everything from their careers and representation to why people should care about the COVID-19 crisis and resulting oxygen shortage in India. So far, they've raised just over $7,000. All money raised goes towards groups helping in India, including Khalsa Aid and Doctors Without Borders. Been personally affected by this tragedy. I've lost two cousins. Um, my hope was that one day when I take my daughter to India that she would have been able to connect with them. This could happen anywhere. This is a warning call. Uh, please support. Canada is sending antiviral drugs and hundreds of ventilators to India to help the country tackle its brutal spike in COVID-19 cases. Canada has also become the first country to pledge money to a new COVID-19 fund that aims to provide oxygen and therapeutic drugs to poorer countries. Experts fear the desperate oxygen shortage in India could soon be repeated right across the developing world. Redmond Shannon reports. One of the reasons India is struggling to meet the oxygen needs of its COVID patients is an underfunded healthcare system serving a huge population. But many experts worry that could be nothing compared to what could happen in poorer countries, especially in parts of Africa. We as a continent must be very, very prepared. Uh, prepared to um, that the same scenario that is happening in India can eventually happen on the continent the head of Africa's Centers for Disease Control is appealing to African governments not to make the same mistakes as India, such as holding political rallies. Do not have a mass gathering. They will promote the, the opportunity for the virus to replicate and we'll find ourselves in where uh, India is. And we cannot and should not find ourselves in that scenario because of the very fragile nature of our health system. One of Africa's richer nations, Tunisia, has an infection rate well below that of India, but its healthcare system has struggled to keep up. The Every Breath Counts Coalition says billions of dollars are needed to get the developing world oxygen ready. Our estimates suggest this could happen in 40 more countries.
So we have to get ahead of that and be ready as an international you know, group of agencies to respond very quickly. The coalition wants the G7 nations, including Canada, to provide $240 million immediately. On Wednesday, Canada alone pledged $230 million to another UNICEF fund that will help supply oxygen and therapeutics where they're needed most. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. A new national research program is examining the impact of pandemic visitor restrictions on sick children in hospitals. The results will inform future policies on family visitation during emergencies, although researchers hope they're never needed. Elizabeth McSheffrey reports. There's no question this pandemic has been hard on all of us, but few have been harder hit than healthcare workers. Visitor restrictions have become the norm in many hospitals, a tough pill to swallow, especially in children's wards. There was one particular situation where I was involved in a family meeting and they, the, the, both parents had been brought into the healthcare center to discuss their child, but not in the intensive care unit. And one of the parents asked if they, you know, they were in the building anyway, could they go see their child? And I had to say no to that. And it felt like the most wrong thing that I've had to do in a lot of my career. Dr. Foster is a lead researcher for a new national study on how COVID-19 restrictions have affected pediatric intensive care unit patients and how they can be done better if future threats arise. If, for example, there's no COVID in an area for a while, then the restrictions have to move a little bit. The benchmark has to change. 12 pediatric care units across the country are participating, while parent partners who have sick children themselves help develop relevant themes and survey questions. Well, I think it's important because it's going to set the, the parameters for what happens uh, in the future. Corey Slumkowski and Martha Walls' eight-year-old daughter, Quinn, has been fortunate not to have been hospitalized during the pandemic, but her parents know the importance of them being at the bedside, something that hasn't been possible in many hospitals. We can only imagine how difficult that is because one of the, the things that really um, was helpful for us dealing with a really terrifying situation in an unfamiliar place was to have your spouse or another family member there to talk to, but also just as a, a support person to give you time to get away right, to leave the bedside and, and go for a walk or go get a cup of coffee. The research findings and policy recommendations are expected to be ready in about two years. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News, Halifax. In health matters, drinking beverages sweetened with sugar may significantly increase the risk of colorectal cancer in younger women. Researchers at the Washington University School of Medicine tracked more than 95,000 women for 24 years. Their study showed those who drank two or more sugar-sweetened drinks a day were twice as likely to develop colorectal cancer before the age of 50. That's compared to women who drank less than one a week. Drinking artificially sweetened beverages, coffee or milk, was linked with a 17 to 36 percent lower risk of bowel cancer diagnosis before age 50. And a new study reveals younger men who experience chest pain tend to get faster and more medical attention than their female peers. Researchers at New York University looked at emergency room data for adults under the age of 55. They found men and women experiencing chest pain were equally likely to arrive by ambulance, but women were much less likely to be classified as an emergency case. Women waited about 11 minutes longer to be evaluated by a doctor and were less likely to undergo an EKG or receive cardiac monitoring. 
Coming up next, a shock inside a suitcase. To get these, this type of thing donated to our thrift store, um, completely surprising. What's inside the luggage donated to a Vancouver thrift store and why volunteers think it may have been given away by mistake. Stay with us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If they're not historical treasures, they're personal treasures. The shocking stuff inside this suitcase. Why a thrift store donation in Vancouver has volunteers wondering if this was a mistake. We'll tell you what's inside in just a moment. But first, let's focus in on the forecast. Bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at that. It has been on again, off again <laughs> rain. So where are we at right now? Yeah, Neethi, we've had a bit of both. A bit of a mixed bag. But the great news is as we get in towards tomorrow for Mother's Day, we are going to be back into some dry, dry conditions and some sunshine. So I'll have that coming up in just a moment. We've had cloud cover depending on where you are. We have seen those breaks. It is still going to be quite breezy though as we get in towards this evening. Right now it's sustained a southerly wind at 15 but we've got gusts just over 30 out of the airport. So a heads up it's breezy out there and we still do have the potential for a few isolated showers that are going to pop up across Metro Vancouver. It'll be this evening overnight. We're seeing that across the island. A wave right now especially from Nanaimo all the way into Victoria and that should start to ease off overnight tonight and then as we get in through the day for tomorrow. By tomorrow afternoon we're back into a mainly sunny sky and it'll be pleasant for Mother's Day with temperatures even getting up to 16. Along the northern and central half of the coast though we're still tracking some wet weather. It'll be similar in towards the morning hours clearing towards the afternoon and then a nice break will stretch in towards the southeastern corners of the province. On the future cast putting it into play so we have those breaks especially for the southern interior a partly cloudy sky and then continuing to see that the southern interior leading in towards next week we'll see temperatures getting into the low 20s so a nice improvement is on the way. Now the northern half of the province so a few isolated showers still lingering. That should be towards the early morning hours. Much of the central interior also see that drier later on in the day and then areas towards the south of it underneath the partly cloudy sky dry conditions for Mother's Day and towards the southeastern corners and Kamloops should even climb up to 19 degrees along the south coast. We've got a few isolated showers in the morning still for the northern and central half of the island especially for areas that will be near Port Hardy and then Victoria should start to break out into that sunshine late in the day. Our Mother's Day forecast so it is going to be pleasant for tomorrow. We'll get into some sunshine. We'll have dry conditions for mom. Highs tomorrow will be up to 16 degrees. Looking ahead towards next week though, the long range forecast still remaining dry. Could just see some cloud cover rolling in for both our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We could even get it back up to 19 degrees. Neethu? Oh, I like the sound of that. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, 76 years to the day after the Allies declared victory in Europe, a Vancouver thrift store has turned up a small trove of personal wartime treasures. So this was the first thing our team noticed that we had something really unique. This case was recently donated to the Union Gospel Mission. Inside are love letters, binoculars, and a cable sent to New Westminster on May 8, 1945, declaring victory wonderful stop. Despite poring over the contents, volunteers have not been able to find the family of the original owners. They say the memorabilia is so personal and so treasured, they're wondering if it wasn't donated by accident. 
And then this really shocked us because it appeared to be kind of like a cable on VE Day from 1945 announcing that there had been victory in Europe. And to get these, this type of thing donated to our thrift store, um, completely surprising. I don't think we've ever gotten anything quite like this. Uh, just really interesting stuff. Wow, interesting is one way to put it, indeed. <laughs> I guess if anybody at home, if you recognize that, contact the Union Gospel Mission and maybe get your hands back on those prize possessions. Uh, speaking of prizes, any good news <laughs> for the Whitecaps coming up, Barry? Yeah, actually, very good news. Uh, the Whitecaps played Montreal this afternoon and won, so we'll have highlights of that coming up. Canucks coming off a, a rare win against the Oilers will play Edmonton for a fourth time this week. And all the talk has been uh, Connor McDavid's pursuit of 100 points. So we'll talk about that coming up as well. Incredible talent. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. Looking forward to that. Also coming up, debunking vaccine myths. Vaccine hesitancy is a major concern. And it's because of the mixed messages that people are getting from their leaders. How a group of Muslim youth is raising awareness about COVID-19 immunizations within their community. That story is ahead. We'll be right back. COVID-19 vaccine rollout continues across the country. Vaccine hesitancy is a growing concern among many in the medical field. As Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, a group of Muslim leaders in Calgary have come together to target misinformation they're seeing in their own community. When second-year medical student Sana Jawad saw social media posts indicating fears about COVID-19 vaccines circulating in Calgary's Muslim community, she decided to take action. I thought that as a medical student and as a Muslim myself, that I need to do something about this. So she reached out to the Akram Joma Islamic Centre to create a vaccine awareness webinar. Our target audience are people who have a lot of misinformation and misconceptions about the vaccine, um, primarily within marginalized populations. Um, especially within the Muslim population. Speakers include not only health experts, but a prominent Calgary imam. And initially, it might seem that an imam doesn't have a role um, in talking about vaccines, but I think they really do have an important role because they're such trusted members of the community. It's not about the Muslim community because these issues are prevalent in every community. It's more about taking that unique approach with this community. Vaccine hesitancy is a major concern. And it's because of the mixed messages that people are getting from their leaders. Calgary epidemiologist Dr. Makaram Zaidi is taking part in the webinar. He says vaccine hesitancy in Alberta can be traced back to last year when Alberta was the only province to not have a provincial mask mandate. Zaidi also points to UCP MLAs speaking out against more stringent restrictions. We see mixed messages within our province. We see people coming out to protest uh, in numbers and they are not clamped down. And then there are events like the rodeo we had last week. Organizers of the education campaign stress this is not a Muslim problem, but one that can be attributed to gaps in immigrant health literacy caused by systemic health barriers. The hope is to be able to get more of the vaccine hesitant on board when the message comes from messengers people can trust. Carolyn Curry, De Castillo, Global News. Coming up, why the pandemic is like an experiment on human activity and its impact on animals. So those species that are primarily nocturnal are becoming a little bit more day active. A look at why nesting birds in Prince George are returning to traditional behaviors. Stay with us. 
May is National Physiotherapy Month. Throughout the month, engage with free online interactive resources, learn about the facts and benefits of physiotherapy, and see how a physiotherapist can help you accomplish your summer activity goals. BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer invites you to get your body moving every day in May, no matter where you are, in support of BC Cancer patients across the province. Register for this accessible challenge at workouttoconquercancer.ca. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's here for a look at sports. And Barry, you promoted some good news on the Whitecaps front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a strong start for uh, Marta Santos and crew. Thanks very much, Neethu. The Whitecaps uh, started the season with a win, but have drawn and lost since today. They took on Montreal Club de Foot, the new name for the Montreal Impact. Montreal was undefeated. One win, two draws through their first three matches. So a good test for the DeSanto squad, but a match they should win at their home away from home in Salt Lake City. The very dependable Max Crepeau in goal always gives the Caps a fighting chance. And he makes an incredible save in the 29th minute diving to rob the Norwegian international Bjorn Johnson. Big difference not to concede that first goal. Nil-nil at the half. Second half, Whitecaps on the attack. Lucas Cavallini to Christian Dahomey. He is taken down in the box, and the referee points to the spot. Penalty awarded to the Whitecaps. Dahomey, who scored against TFC from the spot, takes this one as well. And... Makes no mistake, got to convert from there, and he does. Whitecaps take the lead 1-0. 70th minute, Whitecaps corner. They've been great on the set pieces this year. Daber uh, Casado with the service, and once again, it's Dahomey who delivers the goal. The Colombian connection there. Whitecaps have five goals this year, two from the spot, three on set pieces. Montreal desperate to get one back, and they do put one in the back of the net. It's Finnish international Lassie Lapalainen who finally pokes it past Crepeau, but they reviewed it and discovered former Whitecap Eric Hurtado got an arm on the lead-up, so no goal on the handball decision. Caps get their second win. They are now third in the Western Conference, 2-0 the final, despite still looking for that first goal from open play. We want to grow in the open play, but at, we work other areas of our game that are important. The team conceded three goals in four games. Uh, we played four teams that all made the playoffs in MLS in uh, 2020, um, and we got goals. Uh, so, of course, we want to be better in open play uh, and add to what we do on set plays, but it's going to take work, and we have to keep pushing and, and looking at the video to try to improve. And they play again Wednesday at home to Minnesota. For the fourth and final time this week, it's Canucks and Oilers. Thatcher Demko gets the starting goal. Mark Michaelis draws into the lineup for Zach McEwen, who's serving a one-game suspension for his knee on Darnell Nurse. All eyes remain, though, on Connor McDavid. The Oilers superstar sitting on 96 points. He could hit 100 tonight, really, against the Canucks. Of course, Vancouver will do all they can to prevent it. But when superstars of McDavid's ilk get rolling, it is nearly impossible to stop them. It's hard to just pinpoint one, one thing that, impresses you about any player when you go through back it seems like there's always three or four players in every era that dominate the game but you know their consistency is one of them and I, and I just think what I said earlier their, their drive to be better and to be the best is, is one thing that 
has always impressed me whenever whether you're coaching good players or um you know when we taught when i had the opportunity to coach the twins and, and watching how they were even at the end of their career their their commitment to just being the best they could be every day uh, obviously hockey sense and being smart they all all the great players have that and uh, but it's that really it's that desire that pushes you and that helps you to be consistent as well we know that was Travis, not Tyler. At NHL tonight, Habs and Leafs. Canadians could eliminate Calgary with a win and be on the verge of eliminating the Canucks as well. They jumped out to the 2-0 lead, but the Leafs battle back. William Nylander with the quick hands makes it 2-2. And then Austin Matthews, clean face-off win to Mitch Marner, who fires it bar down. That's the game-winner 3-2 Leafs win. They clinch first in the north. Flames and Canucks still alive for the playoffs, but barely. Women's World Curling Championship, Canada taking on Sweden. Winner goes to the semifinals. Carrie Anderson has looked really worn out this week. She's been in that Calgary bubble for two months, playing numerous competitions, just scraped into the playoffs. Had a tough battle today. She will get a single point here, just getting to the top of the forefoot for the single to uh, cut the Sweden lead to 3-2. But Sweden's a quality team. They were the better rink today. Seventh end, it's a draw for two. No problems there. Sweden wins 8-3. Canada is out. First time in the same year that our Canadian women and men failed the medal at the World Curling Championships. EPL, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City with a chance to clinch the Premiership with a win over Chelsea late first half. City get on the board. Raheem Sterling patiently waits and then slots it in. Man City 1-0 at halftime. But Chelsea, they played good or better than City over the past month. They equalize. Hakeem Zayek, one touch. And that left foot finds the corner to make it 1-1. These two clubs will meet in the Champions League final at the end of the month. Chelsea showed they're ready to take that trophy. Stoppage time. Marcos Alonso gives Chelsea the 2-1 victory. Man City, though, can still clinch the Premiership title tomorrow if Man United lose to Aston Villa. Powerhouse Bayern Munich won its ninth straight Bundesliga crown today. They did it before their scheduled match when second place Leipzig lost, but that didn't stop Bayern from crushing Mönchengladbach. Who, uh, who else? But Robert Lewandowski gets them started just two minutes in, bounces it into the far corner. Later in the half, Thomas Muller to Lewandowski, who fires the swinging volley inside the far post. He would get the hat trick uh, from the spot later on. 39 goals this year to lead the Bundesliga, and then they will celebrate after Leroy Sané scores 6-0 the final their ninth straight Bundesliga title Alfonso Davies of course part of the last three championships third round of the Wells Fargo championship from the very challenging Quail Hollow layout in Charlotte North Carolina Rory McIlroy in contention for the first time in a while Rory charged out of the gates today four birdies on the front side, including this one at number eight. Rory tied for second at seven under par. He'll play in the final pairing tomorrow with American Keith Mitchell, who had a clean scorecard today. 13 pars, five birdies, no bogeys. His best shot, his approach at 16, would make birdie there. Five under 66 today for Mitchell. Leads by two at nine under. Roger Sloan of Merritt tied 23rd at minus one. Nick Taylor 54th at plus two. Baseball today. Blue Jays and Astros from Houston. Top second, Kevin Biggio with a 
blast to right, a two-run shot. Now, of course, his dad, Craig Biggio, played 20 Major League seasons, all with the Astros, and dad watching in the stands has a big smile for that swing. Biggio's third homer of the year, and it's 2-0. That's mom with the applause. Top third, now 3-0. Randall Gritchuk gives it a ride to left center. Almost a homer off the wall. It's a two-run double. Gritchuk leads the Blue Jays with 28 RBI. They led 5-0, but it's now 5-3 in the bottom of the eighth. And in the NBA, the Grizzlies and Raptors. Memphis likely going to the play-in tournament. Raps could be eliminated uh, as early as a couple of days from now. Pascal Siakam, a career-high 44 the other night with the bucket and one. Raps trailed 47-46 at the half. But Memphis took over in the third. Jacques Durant uh, with the... Uh, Ja Morant, rather, with the baseline driving dunk. Memphis uh, by nine at that point, and they lead by 11 in the fourth. And that is sports. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, we'll go to some soccer fields in Prince George, but not to talk about the sport, rather the creatures who've moved in and what it says about the impact of human activity on animals. We'll explain next. Well, during the pandemic, many places normally filled with people have been largely abandoned, and that's allowed some animals to return and even flourish, as seen at Prince George's Rotary Soccer Fields. CKPG's Dave Branco reports. Typically, this time of year, these fields are filled with sounds of people playing soccer. High up on the light pole these days, however, a pair of offspray have built their new home. Osprey are really common around here, but typically you wouldn't see them in something that I would classify as a really high traffic area. I would expect to see them more around the periphery in sort of slightly quieter areas. And so when I saw them in the soccer fields, I wondered if this was an example of wildlife sort of reclaiming habitat that has been sort of had reduced activity by humans because of the, the COVID pandemic. As the health restrictions continue, some animals have returned to their traditional behaviors. They're changing their behavior, and a lot of those species, um, when there's a lot of human activity, they become more nocturnal, they come out when there's le less people around. And over this past year, what they're finding is a lot of those species that are primarily nocturnal are becoming a little bit more day active. From this kind of animal behavior, there are lessons that can be learned. As we become vaccinated and uh, the pandemic crisis breaks down, if we take some of those lessons that we learn now, rather than driving across town to go to a meeting, considering doing it via uh, video conferencing, those kind of small actions can actually, by individuals, can actually have massive uh, impacts uh, on the environment around us. This week, the city of Prince George is opening most of its sports fields and ball diamonds for the year. Dave Branco, CKPG News. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens to that osprey nest once they reopen this week. All right, that brings us to the end of the Global News Hour at 6 for this Saturday. Jordan will be here at 11. Thanks so much for joining us. Take good care of yourselves.